0: Well, welcome. We're in our series called Inconvenient. And the idea of the word inconvenient is that you're going to be brought to crossroads in your life. You're going to be brought to places by God where you have to make a decision. Do what's comfortable or do what's inconvenient. And the way you decide that is going to depict the outcome of your life. It's going to depict where it's going. A lot of times we pray and we pray and we pray to God, and then God starts to move in our lives, and then we start saying, stop this, God, stop this. What we don't realize is God is putting us in positions where we have to make a decision to do it God's way because the prayer that we're looking to have answered, that request is right on the other side of doing it His way. And so doing it His way is the big blessing. And so I want to encourage you in that. Now, last week, Sanctus Real was here. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I missed the concert because I had a leadership thing I had to be at. Um, but at the same time, we wanted to do something for our church. That was the purpose of having Sanctus Real here. Sanctus Real is a Christian band, so Christian people were going to come hear him. Okay, But we wanted it for our church first, so we had them come. And they said, hey, we'll lead worship. That, we'll do that on Sunday morning. That'd be great. And that that absolutely it um, was an, an awesome opportunity, and I hope you enjoyed the, the, um, the wrap-up. We call that a wrap-up video, but I, I, I have to be really, really super honest with you. When I watch the wrap-up video, I don't see Sanctus Real, okay? As soon as we saw the video the first time, uh, Pastor Janus said, hey, look at that. Did you see that? I, okay, listen, not, not, I'm, I love, I feel love, feel love. This, I'm not throwing, this is love, Okay how does a guy do ASL sign language interpretation for Sanctus Real huh? And, then, and do this while he's doing it? It's like, man, he was jamming. And it's like, you know, Sanctus Real, I'm sorry, were they up there? I just saw Brian. I, that's all I saw up there. It's like, man, he was jamming it. It was like, yes, that's what we want. We want to have some fun. We want to have some fun in Jesus. And that's an important thing for us as a church. But sometimes... Sometimes we want to stop and get a hold of some truth, but but sometimes, and this is a difficult message this morning, truth hurts. Sometimes it does. Sometimes truth hurts. Now, I'm asking you to stay with me to the end of this, the message. Okay, I'm asking you to. I wrote this message and I said, okay, Lord, here it is. I got the message. It's all written. It looks good. I prayed over it. I felt like the Holy Spirit was directing the points and things like that. And then I sent it in to Michael, our media team director and IT guy and all things smart. And I sent it to him and I said, there it is. And then I was done. Okay, and then I picked it back up and I started agonizing over it some more. And then I put it down. Okay, Lord, it's done. Then I picked it up again the next day and I started agonizing over it some more. And then I got up at four o'clock this morning and agonized over it some more. And I said, oh my word, I might as well just be at church. So then I hopped in the car and came to church and and just thought I just might as well just be here so I started working on it again. There's a lot of different ways to share this message, but what I do know is this. I believe God said you will share this message. My prayer is God Help me share it right. Okay? We're challenged in the Scripture. Don't you know that those that would be teachers will be judged more harshly? Peter says, let him who speaks do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And that's not me saying, you need to hear me saying, the Lord said... Okay, That's me going home and hiding in my closet and saying, God, did I get that right? Did I get that right? Did I get that right? That's what that is. And so I share it with you to that end. I'm going to read this scripture, and we're going to have a big prayer. And then we're going to do this because, you know, we're going into this message and and a lot of it might be more about obedience than anything, but it's just that idea. If you've you've got children, if you've been around children, if you have helped raise children, if you've got nieces and nephews, whatever. But you know know how it is when you tell a child to do something and you say, hey, go clean your room or hey, um, run upstairs and do this. And like, okay, you wait a couple of seconds, you look over and they're not doing it. What do you do? Well, if you're a normal parent, you start counting, right? So you're not teaching your children obedience, you're teaching them math. One. And they look at you like, what? Two. I told you. Don't let me get to three. And if you're a really wimpy parent like most of you, two and a quarter. Because you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to do it. And so you're like, oh, please catch on before I get to three because I don't want to have to. And listen, I'm just going to tell you right now, we raised our children with corporal punishment. Okay, if that offends you, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a big fan of corporal punishment. Sorry. I do not believe in beating children. Let me be serious about that. But I will spank one of my children's behinds if I could reach it anymore if they couldn't take me down. I would still whoop their behind if I, could, I, I was strong enough. Okay, you don't have to do it that often, but, but I'm not opposed to that. So, you know, when, when we're dealing with children and we're saying, hey, we have to understand this, we can correct them now or law enforcement will correct them later. How do you want to do it? Okay, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's true. Okay, it's true. Okay, now, having said that, you know, we as parents, you know, we're kind of in this delayed obedience is still disobedience, and you need to get a hold of that. That's a Dr. Dobson quote from the early 80s, okay? And I know things have changed since then. But anyway, I wonder how often, I wonder how often God does that to us. Hey, I want you to do this. And we're like, sure. And he goes, one. What? I don't think he counts. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think he counts. I think if you're raising children today, the smarter thing is to go, one, And when they look at you like, what? You say, hey, I, I asked you to do this. When they turn away, you don't go to three. You just go to one. And the next time you go one, they're like, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, you know? And again, I'm not talking about beating children. I am not talking about that. I am talking about appropriately correcting disobedient behavior that comes from a rebellious nature inside that you were born with, and you remember it when you were a kid, and it's there. Let's read the scripture. John chapter 4. Father, we just ask and pray that you bring life into this word. God, I speak against the enemy. I speak against the spirit of bitterness, of anger, of suicide, whatever it might be that's in the room. I just speak against the enemy and say, get out. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to begin to prepare the field of our heart. To receive your word. Make this real to us, O Lord God, that we might be a changed people and that the kingdom of God might grow. John chapter 4 says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard uh, heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea, departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being um, wearied from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan? Woman, Not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. She's defining herself. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. John, John is explaining to you and I, Gentiles, that Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir... You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you then get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor have to come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Now, up to this point right here, I'm gonna stop for just a second, okay? Just like I did before. Up to this point right here, we're dealing with a social situation. We are not dealing with her as a specific person. We're dealing with her as a Samaritan, which means she's a half Jew. The Gentiles still see her as an unclean person. As a matter of fact, they see the whole area of Samaria as unclean. So they go across the Jordan River, come down, come back into um, Judea, and whenever they take a trip. They don't come straight down through Samaria. They avoid it because it's so unclean, they're not going to have anything to do with it. Okay, Now that's just the picture. Okay, I want to focus on the manner in which, and this is what I want you to focus on, the manner in which Jesus interacts with the woman. Maybe not exactly what he says to her or how she responds. It's the manner in which he does, because I want to talk about truth and obedience today as Christian people. Okay, I want to talk to us about that. Buckle up okay? I I, I want to talk to us about this, okay? And so we've got this picture, and Jesus is just dealing with her nominally. The story's just going along, and here we are. Can I have a drink of water? Can we do this? Can we do that? And it's all good, okay? And then all of a sudden, here we come. We're keeping the spotlight off of people. We're not shining the spiritual spotlight down on people until Jesus says, go call your husband. Now, He's shining a spiritual flashlight down on top of her. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. You see what she's doing? She's trying to keep the light off of herself. Don't go there. Don't open that closet in my life, God. All right? Don't do that. And she's answering. Look, look, look how Jesus responds to her. And Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, but you spoke truly. And what Jesus is saying, way to split that hair. You know how you are sometimes. When we're in conversations with people and we don't want them to know the truth, we start splitting the hair so that we can say the truth without revealing the truth. So she splits the hair. I'm not married. And Jesus says, You're right. but you've been married five times before and you're living with somebody right now. Let's deal with it. Yeah, you're right. You can split the hair and I want to celebrate that you know exactly what you're doing. I want to celebrate that this is the situation. I want to do that. Listen, I don't want to talk about living together. That is not the message today. The message today is the way in which we interact with God and we start splitting hairs so that God will not look in the closets of our life. That's what I want to talk about. And so we have this picture, and Jesus celebrates the woman, but calls her out at the same time. And the woman says, okay, let's get the spotlight back off of me. I think you must be a prophet. (laughs) Well, if that doesn't puff you up and make your ego go, yeah, I must be, yeah, Yeah, I think you might be right. Look at what's going on. Jesus didn't do that, okay? But you and me, if somebody did that, we'd be like, well, yeah, we would be distracted by the fact that she's trying to change the subject. And so that's what's going on. I think you must be a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Let's talk about where we should worship, Jesus. And Jesus says, all right, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you, you he makes it personal again. She takes the spotlight off of him, he puts the spotlight back on her. Okay, you say we as Samaritans have to worship here. And Jesus says, okay, but you <laughs> worship he makes the spotlight right back on her. Woman believing the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father, but you, that's possessive, you worship what you do not know, but we worship um, for salvation. is from the Jews. But the hour is coming now and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming. who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Let's take the picture back off of me and put it on somebody else. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am He. It's me. I'm right here. Every time she tries to take the spotlight off of this closet in her life, Jesus puts the spotlight right back on it and says, I'm here to talk to you. I'm not here to talk to your nation. I want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to the Samaritans. I want to talk to you, ma'am. I don't want to talk necessarily to your husband. I came here to talk to you. You and every time she tried to say, "Well, I'm a Samaritan. Uh, I don't care." Well, uh, we, you Jews, tell us that. Well, you worship here. Jesus. Keeps doing that. And that's what I want the Lord to do to us today. So here's the picture. Jesus is interacting according to John, and John is writing to you and I, according to the book of, um, of John, chapter 20, 23, or 20 21, um, those chapters, he says, I write these things that in, in exposing them to you, you will believe. So the goal is evangelism. The book of John, the goal of the book of John is evangelism. So we know that's why John's writing these things. And John tells us this story, and he's telling us this story, and he says, oh, because Jews, they don't associate with Samaritans. See he has to tell us because we're gentiles a good Jew would already know that but he's writing to non-Jews that's you and me so we don't know that they don't associate together and it's so difficult that they cross state lines go down in a different state come back in okay that that's that's just how they do okay you know it's like if if Tennessee was taller than it was long We would go over to West Virginia, drop down into Virginia, and then come back in in order to get down to Destin, Florida. But instead, we have to go through Tennessee. Okay? And they're our rivals, see? You know, because, you know, we have to beat them, they have to beat us, and you know how it is. So we would find a way to avoid Tennessee. That's the picture. You people are like mad, okay? (laughs) Kentucky won yesterday. Do you know that? I'm just going to throw that. I know it's Florida, but I'm just going to throw it out there, okay? All right. It's just a metaphor, okay? It's just a metaphor. It's it's like half the crowd here is from Tennessee or maybe more. I'm not sure. Um, It's like, wow, holy hell. Okay, it's all good, but you got the metaphor, right? You understand how serious it is. And so here's the deal. Jesus comes in. Now, the other thing you have to get your hands on is, you know what time it, it is? it's the sixth hour. Biblically, we speak in hours and they start at six o'clock in the morning. So the sixth hour is noon. You know when you're supposed to go gather water for your whole day? Not at lunchtime after you already need it and have had breakfast. You're supposed to go to the well and gather it first thing in the morning. You take the water to your livestock first thing in the morning. You get your water for washing first thing in the morning. You get your water to make your bread and do your housework with. So this woman, for some reason, is getting her water at noon. Probably because she's been married five times and living with somebody right now. And I would dare say theologically that most pastors will tell you, most theologians will tell you that she's been exercised, so to speak, from um, at least ostracized from her community. And so she comes when nobody's there because she doesn't want anybody looking at her life and talking to her about it. She's tired of the guilt. She's tired of the shame. And the point is, how did Jesus interact with this woman? And so Jesus comes along, sends his disciples into the unclean village to get food, probably, you know, barbecue pork sandwiches, and he's going to have to like pray over it, turn it into into cattle or something. But anyway, and he sits down and he says, hey, how about some water? She says, what are you talking to me for? You're a Jew. He says, just dip it in there. If, If you knew who I was, you would ask me for water instead. And they go back and forth a little bit. But if you have to say anything about this, you have to say Jesus was very direct with this woman. He was not mean. He was not ugly. But he did not mix any words. He was very direct. Let's just get to the point. I need some water. You going you to get me some water? No, I'm not going to get you some water. How is it that you can do this? Hey, call your husband. Let's talk. I don't have a husband. You are very shrewd in saying you don't have a husband. Didn't mix any words, didn't sugarcoat it, didn't grovel, didn't say, please believe in me. He didn't do that. He just simply said, you know what, you're absolutely right, but don't think that I don't know. He was blunt. He was not mean. He was not using his authority with a hammer, but he was direct. Look at that. You're the Samaritan woman. Whatever your sin is in your life that you've been trying to hide from all of us in this church, you sit down and in walks this guy in robes and he sits down right next to you and he says, woohoo! Hey, can I have some of that bottled water? You say, no, get your own. If you were a good vineyardite, you would have come in with a a bottle of water and I wouldn't have to go get you a bottle of water. And he says to you, well, if you were a good Christian, you would just pray over that and multiply the bottle of water and it would be great uh, because your Jesus did that. And He would go back and forth. But then all of a sudden he begins to expose your sin and he doesn't do it because he's being mean and nasty and he doesn't say rah, rah, rah. he just simply says hey call your husband let's talk about your sin and she says "Ooh, i want to keep that closet shut and she begins to work at it as hard as she can he was very direct he called her out he shined his light on her sin and her incongruity i didn't buy this sermon i just wanted to say incongruity some of you are going to be like, he would never use a word like that. He doesn't even know what that word means. Yes, I do, okay? <laughs> but I just was thinking about it this past week, and I thought I want to throw it into the sermon and sound smart a little bit. <laughs> and then when you throw one word in like that, people are like, he's not smart. He just threw that word in there because he doesn't use words like that. But incongruity. He shined his light on it. Jesus uh, Jesus just spoke what needed to be spoken. She was being careful not to interact with society. She went to the well when nobody was going to be there because she was tired of being looked at, talked about, whispered about. She was being so careful, and then Jesus comes up and then exposes her sin. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus do that? Because a lot of times we think that Jesus is this wimpy, oh man, he's so super nice, and if you were here last week, he's just the big Clifford, the big red God, you know. He's just that kind of a God, and he's just... Why, Jesus, was. that just sounds mean when you say that, Pastor Joe. It's not mean to share the truth. It's not. Stay with me to the end. Stay with me to the end. We have to remember that God is longing for people to be restored, and you're not going to be restored if you're not called out in your sin. If God does not shine a light on our sin, we will not be restored because we'll continue to hide it. God is here for the restoration of his children. He wants us to be restored as his children, restored to righteousness, restored to the family, restored to eternity, restored to a full life, restored into uh, the community of faith. He wants that. But we, we are so busy thinking, he's all lovey-dovey and good, and he sat down next to this woman, and he just probably said all kind of nice things to her. And It doesn't look like that to me. It looks like he was, poof straight to the point. Let's talk. I want you restored. I want you healed. I want you whole again. And he called her out. Real quick, the, Jesus is very aware of this woman. Very aware. You think Jesus isn't aware of you sitting in this room? He's not like aware like, I see you! He's not aware like that. He's aware like, hey, I was waiting for you. I see you. I came and I sat down at the well because I knew you would come. See? It's that kind of he's aware of you. Jesus is aware of you. Jesus deals with the truth in the moment. Even though the scripture says that Jesus is God, and it says in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and through all things, or through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. That's John 1, 1 and, and following. Okay, we know that he is God, and even though he laid down the law, we know that in another situation he set aside the law because he wanted to deal with this person right here. He literally set aside his law and said, I'm not going to do that. I want you to know that I'm not here to condemn you. So we know that he's very aware of the truth in the moment. We can't hide it from God. We'd like to as little children. We really would, but we can't. And I, know, and I like that the last thing that, that I want to share with you in this little snippet is Jesus doesn't excuse the woman's sin nonetheless. The fact that Jesus interacts with you does not mean he's just going to excuse your sin. He will forgive your sins. As soon as you confess your sins, John says that he is faithful and he is just and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's all it takes is for us to own our sin and say, God, you're absolutely right. I've I've been married five times or I've stolen two cars or I cheated on my taxes. Whatever it is. We know that God will forgive us. But he will not forgive excuse it that's not what he came to do excusing our sins does not restore us to god not at all and we need to get a hold of this in the restoration and the preaching of the truth for the purpose of the restoration is incredibly incredibly important he calls and he tells this woman enough is enough because the man you have right now is not your husband and what he's saying is, listen, listen, listen. Enough's enough. You're running down the wrong road. And you think running faster down that road will get you healing. And it won't. It won't. Laying it at the feet of Jesus will. you got to operate in truth. And speaking the truth is not mean. Okay? The scripture says, as Paul's writing to Timothy, for this is a good and acceptable in the sight of the God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ um, Jesus, who gave himself a ransom to all, for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ Jesus, not lying. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul's trying to make a point that we have got to be a people that will speak the truth. And we're afraid to speak the truth or we do it so horribly wrong. But we've been called to stand up and stop being run over by liars and cheats and sinners. We've been called to to say the truth in the settings that we find ourselves in, but to do it in a manner that brings glory to God. So many people think that being a Christian, we're supposed to be super super humble doormats. Don't rock the boat, don't say certain things, avoid all polarizing subjects, don't have an opinion, and never embarrass anybody. Are you kidding me? Basically, we think that the leaders and the pastors in the Christian movement are supposed to let the wolves eat the sheep. While we stand and say, stop eating the sheep, stop eating the sheep, stop eating the sheep, stop doing that, stop doing that. That is not a good thing. I, I just I need to tell you, I won't do that. I will not do that. Part of it is because I'm not smart enough. Part of it is because I care more than you can imagine. Not for this church. Not for our reputation. For your soul. That's what I care about. So I can't compromise the truth. David killed the bear. David killed the lion. David was a good shepherd. Jesus told us to be shrewd. I wanted to write more shrewd, but the word application word said I have to write shrewder. I think that's wrong, but I wrote shrewder anyway. So Jesus said we have to be shrewd, shrewder than the world. I think it's supposed to be more shrewd, but it comes up with a red line under it. I don't like that. But I'm going with it. Shrewder than the world we've been called to be. Do you know that a good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep? And a good shepherd has a rod and a staff. And whether you know it or not, a rod and a staff are actually weapons. They are literally, they're antique weapons. In order to dismiss bears, wolves, lions, and jackals. And so when Jesus comes to the woman and he lays the truth out, the one that was caught in adultery, not the one at the well. Because we think about two different women that Jesus interacted with the same way. And I love that story because about the time that everybody thinks that Jesus is the hero and he's going to stand up from that and just give her the big hug and the three pats and you know, send her on her way, he turns around to her and with no malice, I believe, in his heart whatsoever, says, where are the people that condemn you? And she says, Lord, there are none. And he says, "Well, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin." Just when he got done, railing on the church with the truth that they are sinners with planks in their eyes, he turned around to the sinner and said, "And you've got to knock it off. I love you, but it has to stop. See? We think that sharing the truth like that, that would be mean if we sat down with somebody and said, "Look, you're sleeping around and it's got to stop. Look." you're stealing money from the government. It's got to stop. Look, you've been lying and lying and lying. It's got to stop. Look, if you don't stop gossiping, it's going to hurt somebody. It's got to stop. And we think, well, you can't tell me that. You can't say that to me. We have an obligation to say that. We have an obligation In John 8, the scripture I was just speaking of, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are the accusers of yours? Has nobody condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. When you heard me say that Jesus set aside the law that he had created from the scripture in John 1, 1, that's where he did it right there. It was God Himself that said in Deuteronomy chapter 10 that if a woman and a man are caught in adultery, they're to be stoned. So when she was brought to them and He said, Let's set the law aside, I'm not here to condemn you. He set aside the law because He knew He was going to fulfill it. When a pastor is using Scripture to challenge your choices, your lifestyles, I just picked a pastor because I own this, first of all, and, and then it's for you. When any Christian person is using Scripture to challenge your choices, your lifestyle, it's an obligation. That we have of our calling with a pastor it's the only thing that we have we only have the truth and the truth is a person and his name is Jesus I am the way the truth and the life I cannot compromise on the truth and sell you something that isn't the truth because this is serious when I meet Jesus I will have to look him in the eye and he has made it perfectly clear that I will be held accountable for every single word and the manner in which it was spoken. And if we begin to bend and twist the truth because we're afraid of hurting somebody's feeling, then we are selling Jesus out. If we choose to close our mouths and sit down and not stand against what's going on in the culture that's immoral and sinful, I'm not saying try to make the, Christ, the nation a Christian nation. I'm just going to tell you right now, we can have this discussion, it wasn't before, it won't be again. God is calling a nation of Christian people from all nations of the world. He has not selected one nation in the world to be the Christian nation. He's still dealing with Israel, and he's got them over here. But I'm telling you, I live with a Ph.D. in early American history. Okay? They weren't Christians. Deists, a lot of them at best. I'm not saying there weren't some Christians. We can have that discussion later. What I'm saying is we introduce people to the truth because it's the truth. And it does not matter to me what they legislate. If they legislate immorality, I still have an obligation to say, this is what the Bible says. Not as a political platform. I won't go there. Not interested. We threw a man out this morning. I'm, I'm sorry we have to say that. Literally had to have a law enforcement official walk him out the door and then file paperwork that said, don't ever come back because you're all going to hell because you didn't vote Republican. Yeah. So first service. And he didn't do it quietly. He was screaming. He was yelling. Two weeks ago, he was doing the same thing. A week before that, he was doing the same thing, and we had to deal with it. You're all liars. You're all cheats, and none of you are Christian because you don't do what he says. It just, it, it, listen, he's not in his right mind, okay? It, it's not a political statement that I just made to you. He's just not in his right mind. But we had to take steps because I'm here to protect this church. I'm here to protect these people. I'm here to move forward in what God has called me to do. This is what I get to do. If I start compromising on the truth, let me ask you a question. Where would it stop? Where would it stop? I'm going to make some statements. Homosexuality is a sin. You want to know where we stand on that? It's a sin. That is not God's plan for your life. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, 21, in Romans 11, Romans 1, and in the Old Testament, that nobody that lives that lifestyle is going into heaven. It's not going to happen. I have to tell you the truth because if I don't you might die in your sin I can't do that listen to me this church will always stand as pro-life killing unborn children is 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 immoral it's absolutely immoral Jesus said I've come that you might have life you can stop right there that's why he came this is not a political statement This is the same statement they made against nations uh, back in Jesus' day and before that we're sacrificing children to Molech. We don't do that. We believe that children and life both are a gift from God. We believe that here. And we will continue to stand and die on that platform if we have to. Not a political platform. We're walking with Jesus and we're standing right there. I cannot compromise or where would it stop and then when we get to hell and you look at me and say joe you lied to me then what and so we can as pastors introduce the truth then we can introduce you to the truth then we can get you to accept the truth and then we invite you to surrender to the truth remember truth has a name and his name is jesus and then from there on out we want to bring the truth to bear on your pain and your sorrow and your celebrations and your victories but it's the truth and we do it with the word of God and we do it by sharing the word of God and we do it by saying, but this is what God says. And no, that doesn't work. And when people say, well, that's mean, that is, uh, you're just being ugly to people. No, I'm just telling you there's a train coming and you're going to be hit by it. And it is not wrong for me to say there is a train coming and you're going to be hit by it. That is not wrong. It is right to say gossip is a sin A negative attitude that breeds divisions in a church is a sin. And people say, well, I've got church hurt. That's what they call it now, I think. I've got church hurt because what? Because somebody said that what you're doing is sinful and you didn't like it because you've only got one of two things can happen when when that happens. Either you demonize the people that said it and then start church hopping, or you have to own it and repent from it. And I'm telling you, owning it and repenting from it is the easiest, most blessed thing to do because you get healed from it, cleansed from it, set free from it. Because that's what Jesus came to do, was to restore us. Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. I love that. Pastor Joe, Sunday morning, teach us the Word. Pastor Joe, in our small groups, we want to learn the Word. Leave that up there, please. We want to learn the Word. Teach us the Word. Do you see the Word after teaching? Yeah. Yeah. We don't like that word, do we? Well, if you're going to rebuke me, I'm going to go somewhere else. I got church hurt now. It says rebuking and correcting. Not maliciously. Stay with me to the end of the message. But it says that. Do you see that? The Word of God, the truth, is supposed to be shared so that people will be rebuked, told to knock it off, stop it. You're you're spreading lies, and correcting them so that their theology is right, so the kingdom of God will move forward. And so we want to be aware of that. So what does the Word of God say? Those are our questions. This is what I pose to you. Well, let's, let's finish reading that one. Sorry. Um, I'm hanging them up back there. Rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's an ongoing growth process that we're in. We've never arrived. So the question that we pose is, what does the Word of God say and how shall we live? And I want to share these things with you and I'm going to get down from here. When Jesus tells us to do something, He means it. He does. He means it. Do you think He means it? He means it. The scripture says in 1 Samuel, but Samuel replied, the Lord is speaking to us through Samuel. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. So when Jesus says, I want you to open up your homes to a stranger, do you think he really means that? When Jesus says, I want you to love the orphans, do you think Jesus really means that? I say yes, but guess what? It's inconvenient, isn't it? It's difficult, it's hard, it's expensive. But it's the right thing to do. Let me let the stones tell you what it looks like.
1: So I was a foster child when I was younger. Um, Me and my brother and my sister were taken for 18 months into care. So I've always really felt like a pull to fostering um, and adopting. I always talked about adopting when I was a kid. I came into it kicking and screaming. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> uh, she's the numbers and the statistics about like how many kids are in the system and like how many don't ever go back to their families and they need a forever home. It was just like, okay, I'm a tearful, blobbering mess. We, we, we gotta see this through and see where this leads us. But we, we had promised that we would pray over every call. That was our thing, and that was something that a family that fostered before us, when we had spoken with them, they were like, that's the biggest thing. Like, even if the call's outside of what you said you wanted, pray about it mm-hmm. and listen for what God has to say. And, you know, he'll let you know if that's the call you're supposed to take. And they called us and they were like, he's two and a half. And I was like, oh, I've got to talk to my husband. And she was like, well, he has red hair. And I'm like, well, I'm going to start praying. and So I'll call my husband to make sure he's praying. And we we said yes. And now we're probably about six months from adopting him. And, and so we just spent a lot of time in prayer and eventually it was decided— four months before the next call? Yeah, it was another four months until we got the call. And that little guy we picked up, he was six weeks old. Mm-hmm. And we picked him up from the hospital. Um, and his mama was 16. And so we got to interact with her. They asked us if we could take her too. Um, and we were like, we don't really know, we're not really open for teenagers. Uh, let's pray about it. And that answer was no at that point in time. Well, and I think when we, when we made a commitment to pray over every call, like we really took that seriously. Mm-hmm. So he went home with her for about a month, and she was in her second foster home at this time. When we took him to her to do the drop off, to transition him back to her, um, you know, she was crying and I was crying, and she asked me um, if there was any way that I could be at the hospital when her second baby was born. She wants me in the room. And I think at that point we just, you know, him and I got in the car and we just were talking and processing and we realized that she's been in two different foster homes. She's had three different social workers. She's been ripped from her biological home. And we were, for the past year, the only, the only consistent only. thing that she'd had in her life. And we were like, if she goes to another home, she needs to come here. The foster home she was in disrupted. And so, they asked us. To find a place to go. Yes. So they asked us for the third time if we could take her and the two boys. So we said yes, <laughs> and we ended up with a 16-year-old, a four-year-old, a 10-month-old, a two-month-old, and a newborn baby, and we went home. <laughs> and so I, I just think it would have been flat-out disobedience, and I'm more scared of <laughs> of disobeying like what I feel like Jesus is directly telling me than I am of having a crazy life.
0: Listen, that is a very, very powerful statement. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. You. You. That is such a powerful statement. I am more concerned, more afraid of disobeying the known will of God if more people lived not with a, a fear of God, but with the desire, I don't want to disappoint God. I don't want to, to have to face God and say, I know you said do this, but no. One of my favorite parts in that video was, uh, I prayed about it again. <laughs> yeah, That's a praying family to begin with. And if you pray, God will speak to you. And he might say things to you that are inconvenient, but truth. And when they become truth in your life, you are beholden to them. And you will see him face to face and he will talk to you about it. Number two, was I at number two? Speaking the truth is not being hateful and it's not being ugly. It's not that at all. It's just the idea that we need to tell people so that they can be restored. I'm just going to skip right down. Skip this next slide. I'm going to skip down to number three. Calling out against sin, standing up against sin, is not being mean or ugly. Actually, speaking against it. Because James, the brother of Jesus, said this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sin. Now listen, when I talk about the idea of speaking out against sin, I'm not talking about using a hammer or throwing rocks at people. I'm talking about extending a hand like the stones did and saying, you know what, let us open our door. Let us find a way to walk with you. Let us make a disciple of you. Let us interact with you. Let us be here for you. Because that's what it means. Obeying God is speaking the truth and living the truth. Somebody once said that, um, St. Francis of Assisi said, "Um, let us preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Well, number one, saint francis of Assisi did not say that okay just put that in your file okay he did not say that number two that is the worst theology and it rates up there in my sermon series really bad theology that i'll do later in the summer or something i don't know okay no the word gospel means good news the word good the words good news mean you're going to proclaim something you're going to verbalize it oh by the way and serve on top of that so it's there's always an expectation of using words always An expectation of speaking out in love. Here's the deal. Here's the clinch pin, if I can do that. We are called to speak the truth. The clinch pin is our attitude when we do it. If we are trying to be spiritually superior, morally superior, or any other kind of superior, as we speak out, then we are failing the kingdom of heaven. Because you and I, neither one, are better than anybody else on this planet. We just have a different kind of a sin. We do. That's not freedom to sin. That is not freedom to sin. It is freedom to come away from sin. You hear Jesus telling the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery, enough already, stop it. Whatever that sin is, you don't want any of us to know, stop it. Cussing, swearing, getting drunk, using drugs, beating on your spouse, wearing out your children. Whatever it is, stop it. Stealing from work, not putting in a good solid eight hours, taking things that don't belong to you at work, taking long lunch, stop it. Because it's sin too. And God is calling you and I to be the example. Our attitude makes the difference Are we here to incite or invite? Are we here to condemn or to console? Are we here to reject or are we here to reach out? Paul told the church in Philippi, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded with Christ, having the same love, being in the same Spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, it says, in humility, value others above yourself. Don't look only to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, to each other. Look out and care and love on each other, because this is kind of the thing I want to leave you with. At the end of the day, you and I are called to love people away from their sin and into a relationship that will change their whole life. Not by throwing rocks or swinging hammers at people's sin, but not by keeping our mouths shut because we're afraid that we might offend somebody if we say, My God says that's sinful. I can't be a part of it. We have to say that. Children are being murdered. The rate and the need for people to open up their homes in this state to children is escalating because people are on drugs and people are failing. It's not slowing down. And it's time for us to stop hiding and step up. Step up our game and relationship with Jesus. And it's got to start with you and I using words and telling people that what they're doing is sinning is not mean and evil if we do it with the right attitude in our hearts. It's inconvenient. But it's the mission. Jesus died on a cross for you. And it's time for you to stop playing games. Stop going to church. Surrender your life to Jesus today. Because He's waiting on you. You've been waiting a long time. And it's time today. It's time for you to be restored. You don't think anybody knows about the sin that you're involved in right now. But listen to me. It doesn't matter if anybody does. God does. And He's not condemning you. He wants you free from it. He wants you healed from it. Stop pretending everything's okay when it's not. He loves you. He's not mad at you. It's time for us to clean up our act, straighten up our language a little bit, and at least grow in holiness, which is a journey, and begin to act like little Jesus is on the earth. Open up our hearts and our homes to the people around us because Jesus died for them. Where are you in this story. These people are up here to pray for you. It's time for you to surrender. Come on up here and they'll lead you through that. It's time for you to lay it at the altar. Come on up here. Is it a bitterness? Is it a hurt? Is it an anger? Is it something you've done? Just leave it here today. Don't take it home with you. Leave it here with Jesus. He died for it. He's got no condemnation for you. And you're not fooling him in any way. So you might as well just tell him. Because he loves you. He loves you desperately. Please don't hear me throwing rocks at you. I'm not. Joe Wood is a sinner, struggling in the net of Peter, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. And I heard this for me before I ever heard it for you. But I'm going home washed clean. How about you?